Roberts, and welcome to another CART.ca exclusive podcast. My special guest today is Joy Lowen, President and CEO of the not-for-profit training and mentoring organization called the National Screen Institute, often known as the NSI and based in Winnipeg, the center of North America. Good that. Welcome, Joy. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here. It's so great to meet you. Joy, tell us a bit about yourself. So you grew up in Steinbach, uh, Manitoba. Mm-hmm. You know, so what, what was that like? <laughs> and, uh, and how does that part of your life inform what you're doing now at the National? So to explain my laughter to those listening in, um, Steinbach, Manitoba is a predominantly Mennonite town, um, about 60 clicks outside of Winnipeg southeast of Winnipeg. And um, yeah, I laugh because in the 1970s, my family was one of very few black families. I was the only black female that went to Southwood school for my junior school years. And um, my parents found their way there. My parents um, hail from the Caribbean, my mom from the Bahamas, my dad, the Barbados. And uh, in their newly married state of life, they decided they wanted to come to Canada to go to school. And uh, they found a Bible school in Three Hills, Alberta. Um, And my brother, and this was the late 60s, and my brother and I, my older brother and I were born there. So I was born in Three Hills, Alberta. You know, after my dad finished his schooling at Prairie Bible School, they went back to the Bahamas. And um, uh, like I say, my dad decided he wanted to do more school schooling in um, uh, in Canada. And so I was uh, five when um, my parents came back to Canada. And this time they they had uh, friends from uh, Three Hills that had moved to Steinbeck and were going to school. And at that point, it was Otterburn. Later, my dad went to Winnipeg. And uh, so my parents decided that they too will go and meet up with their friends and, and, you know, do a similar kind of thing, live in Steinbeck and commute to school. And they packed us up in August of 1976 from the Bahamas and um, we went to the Barbados for a spell to go see my parent, grandparents there, knowing that it'd be four years or so before we'd see them again. And then um, uh, traveled to Winnipeg. Was a, I do remember... Um, still, it was a very hot, balmy night. Winnipeg gets as hot in the summer as it does cold in the winter. And uh, and it was hot and balmy and felt like the Bahamas. Um, we took a, a taxi cab um, from the Winnipeg airport to Steinbeck. It would mm-hmm. cost my dad a fortune. Um, we stayed in a little motel in the first couple of days before moving into a rental home. We were only supposed to stay for four years. My dad was going to get a degree and then come back to the Bahamas like he did the first time around. And, Four decades later, my parents are still in Steinbeck, Manitoba. So I grew up, um, my three brothers and I grew up in Steinbeck, and we were, like I say, one of the first black families. Um, There were other black people there, but we were the first black family. I didn't see a lot of myself represented in the faces and the community around me, but I certainly did, I mean, on on a... values level. Mennonites very much welcomed us, took care of us. Um, I have lots of great memories growing up in Steinbeck and it it does frame a lot of who I am today. Very interesting. That's a lot of moving around. It is great. Well, (laughs) in the early years, right? And then, like I say, my parents did a lot of moving around, but they've now been in Steinbeck for decades. They chose to make that home. And you've had a pretty stellar career. I mean, you've done some amazing stuff in terms of broadcast and Festival programming, if I understand correctly. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that, about how that connects with NSI? 
Well, I mean, it's not that I destined to be um, a broadcast programmer, a festival programmer. These were just, you know, I mean, I got into radio and television high school. I was a receptionist at the radio station um, in Steinbeck, and then um, that got me into Ryerson, Radio and Television Arts. And uh, during our second year internship, I worked at Vision TV and worked in the programming department. So you see how some of this just sort of one step after the other just made sense. And when you're in Winnipeg working in the media industry, there's only so many options that are available to you. Having said that, I was crazy blessed to have a lot of good work. Uh, You know, I mean, the National Film Board doing some marketing campaigns for them. And then then, uh, when WTN, what's now known as W, was newly created, I was part of the team that launched the channel in 1995 and was there until they moved to Toronto. And then, you know, like my parents, I follow the path of my friends. Susan Milliken was my boss at WTN, and um, she called me when she was head of the, when she was in this chair, um, in this position at the National Screen Institute, and she asked me, you know, Joy, do you want to come? And I had two young kids then at the time. She's like, do you want to do some part-time work in training and mentorship? For sure. I know the Drama Prize program. I was in it at one point. Uh, So I said yes to that. And the work of, it really, it's the work of, uh, celebrating stories and showcasing them in different formats is the work that I have done, what I love to do. And what, it, what the different roles really just depends on the opportunities that present themselves from my home base in Winnipeg. And you've been pretty involved in the Winnipeg community as mm-hmm. such, as a volunteer. I think you're involved in a few organizations. Uh, one of them that comes to mind is the Winnipeg Foundation. Um, how does that volunteer work the Winnipeg Foundation, for example, influence or inform or reflect what you're doing at the NSI? How it reflects what I do at the National Screen Institute is, at the National Screen Institute, we seek to build community, a community of storytellers who we support through their development of, of their stories. And the Winnipeg Foundation, I mean, like I say, I grew up in a, in a small very community-minded. We looked after each other in Steinbach. And the Winnipeg Foundation, uh, Canada's oldest uh, community foundation, looks after the folks in its community in all their glorious diversity. Foundation really does, how it connects to the National Screen Institute specifically, is the support of, you know, how do we, how do we bring, you know, have a flourishing community for all of our members, and that's through connection. That's and, and stories provide a connection to each other. It, it really does help to folks to share their, find their voice, the confidence to share their story using their voice. Well, let's get right to NSI, the National Screen Institute. What, what is the purpose? What is the mission of the National Screen Institute? And how has that changed or evolved? I think it was founded in 1986 in that area. Mm-hmm. How has it changed or evolved over time? Lots. <laughs> as as it should, well, yeah. as it should, right? So, you know, as you meet us today, we really are strong in our why. Our why is based on a vision that um, seeks to create a cultural cultural equity uh, for through the telling of of stories. How we do that is through providing different training and mentorship programs to guide. The process of telling your story is not an easy one. You know this, mm-hmm. right? And um, and it's not the same journey depending on any number of circumstances. So what we seek to do um, in an effort to really acknowledge, celebrate, understand Canadian culture is to uh, support the storytellers, support storytellers. And by storytellers, I mean Primarily, we've been focused on producers, writers, and directors in our training and 
and mentorship programs. And so those above the line um, creators who are making the decisions, who are really bringing those insights in, and supporting them as they develop uh, stories that then get shared uh, through the sharing of those stories, people begin to see themselves, which is something that it's a value I hold dear. Yeah. I didn't see myself much in the community in which I grew up. So I want to make sure that other little black girls who are living in communities where they don't see themselves present in the everyday know that they are not alone. And also, you know, we begin to see the truth of the world that we're living in. And whether that be through historical stories or just those that are dealing with our present. What are the programs and initiatives uh, at the NSI, the National Screen Institute, that empower that to happen? So again, I'll say lots, um, and I'll focus on, I mean, in the uh, early years, we did uh, training programs for uh, short film. They were, they were both development and production programs, and a lot of folks had their, uh, industry folks had their starts with, start with NSI Drama Prize. That expanded to Features First. So because it was a feature, it was more development, focused on developing a feature script. Through the years, you know, we've, we've broadened and changed. Uh, NSI Totally Television was based on helping um, producers and writers develop their TV series. In the early 2000s, 2003, we started the what's now called the CBC New Indigenous Voices Program, but an emerging program for Indigenous creators to, again, just find their voice um, and support them in training through by through training actual production um, they did a shoot in that program um, where they would produce a, sh a short apprenticeships uh, so get them working in the industry in paid positions um, for a period of time and now as you know if I fast forward to 20 19, when I was um, appointed the first interim uh, ED and then the CEO, uh, we really focused on not duplicating, you know, um, what was already being done. We've had programs in the hopper for many years. Are they still relevant? Some of our change in focus started in 2019, but we really, like everyone, had to shift in 2020 due to the pandemic and going online because we were before then it was all about meeting in person it was all about hands-on it was all about being together and when the pandemic made it such that we couldn't we shifted our programs to provide online community support and we created several it was inter it's interesting bill because we then started looking specifically at the different regions right because we didn't have to fly Nobody had to fly. We didn't have to do meeting rooms and hotels, pay for accommodations, food. We could meet you where we were at from our little portal in Winnipeg. And there was certainly an economy that was that that was realized, um, an economy of expenses that was realized, and then a more direct connection through subtle changes. So we created something called the Manitoba Content Creators Accelerators Program. Right now we're offering a business for producers it's called Business for Producers Atlantic Women's Edition, specifically curated program to address, to meet the needs of women producers in the Atlantic region. We've continued to, uh, our, our Indigenous, the Indigenous programs that we were providing in the early 2000s, we've continued with them, but making changes. Um, we've changed the the film, used, they used to go out and shoot a short film in New Voices. They now do podcast. 
um, which we're able to do through online. The Indigidoc program, I mean, my gosh, that's a similar to Drama Prize where you would develop and produce within the course of the program. It's been really challenging to produce. And you've done some things that my children would understand, but one of them I think is called TikTok, TikTok yeah. Accelerator. That yeah. sounds pretty cool. It was it was blessed opportunity to work with the TikTok crew um, on a so a platform, like you say, that young people, you know, they get, they mm-hmm. groove to, this is this is their go-to. It was a program specifically create designed for indigenous creators to both assist Indigenous creators better understand the TikTok program, but also help them shape their stories, their voices their personas on the TikTok platform. So very excited about that. And then the brand new one, well, there's lots of brand new ones, but the one that I'm thinking of in this moment that's um, starting in March is uh, called the Yave On Demand Access Program. Mm -hmm. Yave is spelled E-A-V-E. Took us a long time to get that around our, our tongues around that word. And what it is, is a global producing program. So for BIPOC creators. So black indigenous people of color, 30 participants um, and 30 producer participants. And some of the producers are coming in with a project in mind. And the goal is to, and and those that come in with a a project then have their writers attend some of the sessions. The goal is to support these producers um, as they are developing projects for co-production for the global market. Uh, You know, at the end of the day, you know, hopefully they'll find audiences, um, they'll find different partners and the, uh, and uh, as well as build a stronger base for their companies through the, just the broadening of the borders, the opening up of the borders to show that, you know, yeah, Canadian stories can travel and, and also that there is market opportunities beyond just what's here in Canada. So very excited about Yave. It's the biggest program we've done um, in okay. a long time. I'd like to know a little bit more. I think everyone would like to know a little bit more about your your student body, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they all young people? Are they mid-career folks? How many folks are involved as students, participants? What can you say about the student body? They are as glorious in their diversity as the country we live in. Um, they, you have to be 18 plus uh, to take one of our programs. That's just within our, our mandate, our bylaws. Uh, but beyond that, uh, we're wide open. And, you know, I mean, I'm stretching my arms across the table here because uh, we do seek to those underrepresented voices, like I said, and those underrepresented voices come in all forms, shapes, sizes, regions. Our alumni reflect uh, the diversity within the Canadian population. I'm proud to say that the National Screen Institute has had that mandate since its get-go and has lived that mandate since its get-go. We are as keenly sensitive to the the storytellers in, in our country that are of racial diversity as they are regional and geographic, as they may be sexually diverse, as they may be differently abled. You know, I mean, we really do seek to be a welcoming place for underrepresented voices. So at any given moment, Joy, how many students would be involved with the NSI? It depends. It really depends on the moment. So because of how many, because of how many programs we run. So, you know, I mean, over the course of our history, we've had, we have a thousand plus alumni. Uh, You know, there's, there's some programs, like I said, Yave that takes in 30 participants. And then we've got program like 
CBC New Indigenous Voices that this year we're taking in 10. So, you know, I can't at this point um, say, you know, how many in this given year, in this year will train, but suffice to say that there's been over a thousand National Screen Institute alumni cool. come through our doors. So you must be pretty proud of some of those alumni or all of those alumni. Um, and they must have done some incredible things, some things that the National Screen Institute would see as real achievements by alumni. Can you tell us about two or three of them? Oh, oh, Bill, you asked me to pick my favorite kids here. Well, you know I mean? Okay, so who comes to mind in this moment? Well, I'm thinking, actually, I'm thinking of our board. Uh, so uh, Melanie Hadley, Virginia Thompson, both of them actually outside of Toronto at the time when they were in National Screen Institute programs. Um, and I guess the reason why they come to mind is because they're on our board and my board is always top of mind. <laughs> when you're a CEO, you're always there in your minds. Um, and uh, so at one point, uh, both Mel and Virginia were in um, National Screen Institute programs and look at them now. Mel is over at Warner Media. Virginia has a very successful, I mean, one of the creators of Corner Gas. Veritate um, films. They've been hugely successful in their creative endeavors. My head also turns to folks like, I'm thinking of Erica Daniels right now. Again, you can tell I'm from Winnipeg. So let me go. Erica Daniels is a, a Winnipeg uh, filmmaker who's really, you know, I mean, she's telling stories for the media industry, but she's equally devoted to developing the talents of Indigenous um, storytellers within the community. So going a bit above and beyond that. Jennifer Pademski, you know, she's based, I believe Northern Ontario, but she's en route to Winnipeg, if not already there. Jennifer, Jen is, um, I'm thinking of her in this moment because we're doing a brand new initiative with uh, Jen's, the Shine Network, Shine Network Institute to create a, what I'm referring to as a, a toolkit, uh, but an online training a support system to provide uh, online instruction, guidance, insight for working with Indigenous people within um, the film television uh, industry. It's a frighteningly big, bold, beautiful uh, initiative uh, that we are, that the National Screen Institute is very blessed to be uh, a partner on. When I looked at the National Screen Institute website, the impression I had looking at the dozen or so, Baker's dozen or so uh, programs, uh, I think four or five of them were very tidally focused on Indigenous mm -hmm. creators and storytellers. Now, is that a, and we've mentioned it a few times in our, in our conversation here, is that a strategic positioning? Is that a, a Winnipeg location uh, phenomena? Is that a proximity to APTN down the road? Mm -hmm. Is that a... I'm going to say yes to all of the above, but most, funding opportunity. mostly for me and my leadership role of the National Security Institute, the reason that's what's most needed at, in this time. We want to be relevant. We want to offer programs that are relevant and that meet the needs. And Indigenous stories are desperately needed in this time. Yes, there is all of those factors that are way into, um, that should weigh into the decision. But for, for me, I will share personally, Bill, that it's more just, this is the pulse. And how do we address, how do, how do we support community in this moment in time? And it's through the delivery of these programs. And is that coordinated with other important organizations mm -hmm. like Imaginative and the Indigenous Film Office? The Indigenous Screen Office, yes. I mean, we've partnered with Imaginative for 
several years, uh, you know, when the festival was live, having hosting some of our biggest events at the Imaginative. Now with the Indigenous Screen Office, really honoured to have their support uh, in um, several of our, our programs, including IAVE, as mentioned. Um, they were the founding partners of a uh, supporters of a Indigenous business producing program. It's, it's good to find the linkages. It's more than good, it's right. I think this is probably a good moment for me to get into the full disclosure transparency mode. Okay. Uh, I was on the board of the National Screen That's Institute. Right. I was also on the board of Imaginative at its creation, and I think as the first founding partner, funding partner. Ah. And I think I also gave the keynote uh, with Roberta Jameson. Wow. So back a long way. Well, we could turn the tables here. I have lots to ask you. <laughs> All right. So we've 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 talked about that. What about other marginalized communities? Uh, how is NSI addressing their needs and their opportunity and their voices and their storytelling. Well, in this career, I mean, we've we've had programs specifically dev- devoted to diverse communities, uh, diverse TV directors uh, comes to mind. Years ago, there was a program we did with Telefilm called FASP, F-A-S-P. It was a major initiative for Indigenous, again, for Indigenous storytellers. Diverse TV was devoted to um, diverse communities, what we would have now known as BIPOC. Most recently, we are very much seeing the need of BIPOC creators who are and and developing programs that are maybe not so much that are uh, unique to the National Screen Institute and not being developed by others because there's a lot of groups that are doing a lot of really good and necessary work in their communities now. So, you know, this BIPOC producers program that we have uh, in collaboration with Yave majorly funded. I mean, it came to us through the CMF is we think a, a game changer because it starts with, it happens, production happens with having strong production companies, producers who can carry these projects through the development, production, post-production process to a finished state. So um, I really think that the the programs that we're delivering now, like Yave, are more than just about telling stories and helping storytellers give voice to their stories. It's about making them stable, strong, financially successful companies so that more of this can be done. Now, we we talked a little bit, we've made a reference to the Indigenous Screen Office, but we also have uh, the Black Screen Office run by my old friend, Joan Jenkinson. We have the BIPOC Television and Film. We have Real World Film Festival. I used to yep. be on that board too. Wonderful. Uh, and the Real Asian Film Festival. There's so many important yep. organizations uh, that you would know better than I, Joy. Um, is there some, and they all involve in storytelling, training, mentoring to yep. some degree. Yeah. Um, is again, I'm coming back to this notion of coordination and mm-hmm. and um, not stepping on each other's toes. Yep. How does that work? And is it does it is there a way that they that everyone is sort of complementing each other's vital work? I think we're working towards yeah. that, right? Okay. Like there is, um, and certainly, you know, in the ensuing Even days, funding from the must pandemic. be overlapping issues. Uh, yesterday, I spent uh, time in the Canadian Independent Screen Fund board meeting, um, and this is a group where many of the organizations you mentioned there are represented through this organization. And, you know, back in the day, it was the old CIFVF fund, and it's now being, you know, we're seeking reinstatement, led by Lalita Krishna and Jen 
wholeness. Um, we are seeking to have the fund reinstated and the board of that fund is uh, made up of members like I say, many of the organizations you listed there. In an effort to show our support from our various stances, um, there's, a, there's a number of different uh, Vancouver Asian Film Festivals. There's a seat on the board for them, uh, Creative Empowered, which is a group out of Alberta. There is definitely, you know, lots of organizations that are doing, I, I like to think of it as a big, long table, and there's a seat at the table for every, everyone how we coordinate ourselves now so that there is no overlap. You mentioned the Black Screen Office, one of the programs I'm really proud of that we're running right now, the NSI Series Incubator Program. Again, for BIPOC producers, writers, directors, and the intent is to have these projects ready for funding when the next round of BSO funding comes through the door. So it's like, you know, the training starts with the National Screen Institute, get the packages ready, and then lo and behold, wouldn't you know, here's the BSO with some funding that's available for uh, further development of the script. So essentially, Bill, I'd say that this is a very much in process. Uh, you know, where you find us today is in the process of discovery and realizing that, you know, oh, maybe we should be talking more, come together to best empower the, the the creative community is uh, is definitely in process but it is very much in the state of, of becoming and I'm hopeful that in time we all of these groups will work together in co- collaboration so that yeah we can really sort of pass batons right. instead of stealing right how has NSI coped with or managed the covid pandemic and and has it had an impact on I think you've referenced it a little bit earlier, but on curriculum and how you did curriculum. But has it had, it had an impact on enrollment, on on being able to get the faculty members you wanted? I mean, or, it's been better. So I'd say that we are practicing the same resiliency that the rest of the industry is. I mean, I, I look at many of the organizations, and we have been. I mean, we certainly are a smaller, one of the smaller organizations, but... You and Elon Musk are doing Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now I really feel (laughs) resilient in a a different way, on a different level, right? But but being nimble and having a small team and, and like I say, the being able to maximize on the expenses, uh, the, you know, the, or fewer expenses of in-person um, has really afforded us a, a freedom to uh, do more. And by that do more, we are offering more programs now than we did pre-pandemic because uh, we don't have to pay as much to move people, to bring people together. Yep. Um, faculty, you mentioned, um, we have greater access. You know, I mean, in the early days of the pandemic, remember, nobody was working. And so we were able to offer, we were able to access them because they had time. Right. And we didn't have to take weeks out of their schedule in order to bring them in for training really they stay home the same goes for this for the participants being in person requires a lot of rescheduling it requires a lot of families and and it's expensive not doable so the flexibility of online i mean it was a game changer for some we removed the barrier of having to readjust your family schedule, your, your, your home schedule in order to take this training. 
Yeah, I mean, we designed delivery for online. So where we could easily regroup after a session and say, oh my God, or oh yay, uh, building in breakouts, you know, how does that work uh, when, you know, you're on Zoom and you're Zoom fatigued? How do you bring life to that, right? Our curriculum uh, definitely changed. We, you know, offer a program will run over a longer period period of time, but will be only two hours, three hours in a day, as opposed to a full day, six days in a row. And here in Toronto, right, where everything happens. So uh, I say it's, I believe that there is um, greater effect. I think we've had just as great an impact and we're, we're able to deliver more to more people. Do I look forward to doing more of this? Yes. Do I look forward to going back to some in person? Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. not. It's not doing it all online is not the suggestion is not the uh, solution, but it sure has carried us through uh, the pandemic, and it's taught us many lessons that of how we can switch things up in order to have effect with uh, less expense, and uh, and those teachings will will remain. I could. I'm. I'm thinking that for many in the not for profit world, the pandemic has been quite a challenge in terms of funding. Does the NSI have a particular funding model? Of course, yeah. And that's changed over time, too. I mean, we are most primarily funded through government and private uh, industry. uh, You know, the companies like Chorus would be funders. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've got uh, Bell Media. TELUS is a a huge uh, supporter. And then, you know, Telefilm, CMF, you know, really, I, I would say enhanced uh, the, the partnership and from from both their levels, uh, we are well supported by our province of Manitoba, through the city of Winnipeg, Winnipeg Arts Council, uh, and seeking to, like I say, enrich those the, the 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 value, the relationship. It's not just about receiving funding; it's about how can we help deliver you deliver on your mandate. Um, is 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 what we is are the conversations that we're having now? Is it is it a fifty fifty split, public private? No. No, and again, it depends on on the and depends on the year. This year, again, too, we've had lots of great support from organizations like the Indigenous Screen Office. Um, we are developing our private uh, fundraising as well. So, you know, the donors seeking donors to support our annual fund. We're seeking the establishment of an endowment fund, an organization that's thirty five years old, a not for profit in the Arts and Cultural Center that's doing. You know, I mean, we are developing the storytellers who are giving shape to our world um, that's worthy. So so seeking to develop um, more on the private donor side for sure. And then something else that, you know, I mean, we're really sort of treading lightly and tapping into. For years, the National Screen Institute has been about the broadcast industry, training storytellers for the media, for screen, to tell their stories on a screen somewhere. And where I come at it is... I want to know your story to better understand you. I may not like what I hear. I may not get it on the first go, but at least I'll know it. I'll have had an opportunity. And that story, your story, connects me to you in a way that is much more real. So from that perspective, our world needs more stories. Everyone has a story to tell. So as a a not-for-profit that supports storytellers, well, how can we do this in our community? just for the sake of helping folks in our community find their voice to share, 
to connect. We are this year, next month, launching a program, a brand new program with the Winnipeg Foundation, funded by the Winnipeg Foundation. It was in part, the Winnipeg Foundation had their 100th anniversary in 2021. And this was an initiative that was meant to be part of the 100th year celebration due to COVID. Things got delayed, but like I say, we're about to launch a community storytelling uh, initiative where Manitobans 18 plus can um, apply to have their story. Sounds pretty cool. It's very cool. (laughs) Very cool. And at the end, within a year, they'll be given uh, funding to produce the film mentorship to guide them through the process. And then um, there'll be a showcase, a community showcase screening event once all of these films are are done. Neat. I think a lot of people in the cart.ca world are pretty fascinated by Bill C-11 coming mm-hmm. into play now. Bill C-10, as, as I think we remember, it um, nearly got there, but mm. it, it died in the last session of past, certainly died in the Senate. But it's been reintroduced now as Bill C-11, the online uh, streaming act. What's your take on that legislation? I'm hopeful. Yeah. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that it will pass <laughs> this time. I'm really grateful. Um, like many uh, in the CART listening world, CART.ca listening world, that um, it has been tabled, that Mr. Uh, was able to table it. I see it as an expansive opportunity. Um, so again, this is, I'm you know, clasping my hands together because we always need to be relevant. Who's and the we we're talking the, about? The industry. Yeah. The broad, those, yeah. those in the industry need to be relevant to um, the market you know, market needs, market uh, who is in the market and provide resources, programming that relate to the market, to the current needs of the market. Right now, online streamers were the broadcasters of the 1970s, 60s kind of thing. So to me, it seems right and fair that we include them in participating in funding we provide opportunity for them to fund. God knows we love the services and there is much to be consumed. Now contribute and participate. And I feel that as a here in 2021-22 that uh, this Bill C-11 provides opportunity for online streamers to really participate in the fullness of developing Canadian culture. So if I'm, if I'm reading between the lines the opportunity that with C11 being passed is a funding opportunity for the National Screen Institute. For sure. Um, uh, I'm not going to deny the hope of that as well, too. You know, I will say that we have, you know, as we more clearly see ourselves, um, the relationships that we develop with our partners goes beyond just can you give us money? It's a, it is a, a conversation that takes, you know, that needs to take place with those streamers that, you know, what is it? How can we best help you by what we do? And um, and so for sure there is, those streamers have more money to give out. I'm hoping that the National Screen Institute can be part and parcel of the contribute, the receivers, the benefactors yeah, yeah. of that. Pre-pandemic, I think the Canadian media sector uh, represented about $14 billion of contribution to the Canadian uh, domestic product. And I think that worked out to be about 130,000 full-time jobs or full-time job equivalents. That's pre-pandemic. So looking as NSI and maybe as an an industry leader yourself, uh, 
how do you how do you see coming out of this pandemic and perhaps the role of the NSI coming out of this pandemic to build on that pre-pandemic 14 billion and 130,000 jobs? Yeah, we are we're getting ready. We are you know we're going to build know, back better. <laughs> I don't know that I'd say those words but that idea for sure. For sure. Like it is about, we've had two years through the pandemic to sort of, to not sort of, to refresh and go internal to really determine what our why is, how we can do things and structure ourselves to be ready for when things open up again. Um, and I sense that that time is coming now. Dear God, I pray that time is coming now. And I I believe that, uh, yeah, the National Security Institute from its perch in Winnipeg that offers program training support for creators coast to coast to coast across our country seek to meet those creators where they're at and 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 help them feed the demand that is going to be post COVID-19 reality right our next normal speaking of uh, a changing reality or just change uh, you mentioned earlier in our chat just a few well 10-15 minutes ago uh, being a Ryerson grad. Uh-huh. Yes, I am. And uh, Ryerson University is, of course, as we know, going through a rebranding, a renaming initiative. Were you involved in that or do you have any thoughts about that or any any hopes in that? Was I involved? Nope. I've been a pretty quiet alumni member. What do I think of it? I'm really pleased. Uh, I'm supportive of the process. I respect, admire. I've taken a lot in from the process that Ryerson has gone through. I'm really excited to see. I am waiting perch breath to hear of the new name and trust that in due course and due time. Uh, but I, you know, again, from my kitchen table reading the Ryerson newsletter, I just get all the feels, all the good feels when I hear of how considerate, thoughtful, responsive they're being, you know, Ryerson at its foundation, at its core is about being in the here and the now. And I feel that they are representing that in some pretty spectacular leadership ways. Coming back to the National Screen Institute uh, as we get near the end of our, our call, um, if you could imagine it, what would the National Screen Institute look like five years from now? I want to be doing more. I want the National Screen Institute to be doing more in terms of serving storytellers, be they storytellers for on-screen, production or storytellers who are our neighbors in our in the community are there any obstacles to getting there what, what, well, well for sure there'll be obstacles um funding being one of them um you know we are an organization that's uh, growing faster than we can keep up with so how do we how do we scale up in ways that um make financial sense um, is, you know, part and parcel of, of what we need to do. You know, What's the budget now for National So 1.8 is, yeah. uh, is this year. So and triple that in five years? Is that a goal? At least. We'll go for a quadruple. <laughs> <laughs> I would say at least. Again, calculated risks, knowing our why, finding partners that support us in the why. How do people, interested creators and storytellers, contact the National Screen Institute? Our website, you know, like many, and our website is going to be launched. A new website is going to be launched in uh, in the spring. I expect we're saying April right now. 
April 2022. We, like many, um, are visible. Um, what you see on the website is pretty much what you get uh, when you meet us in real life. So, uh, and and really seeking to meet a, 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 the national community. NSI-Canada.ca is the best way to find out more and reach, and then reach out specifically as suits your interests. And now the most important question, or most often it's the most important question, and that is, what the heck have I forgot to ask you? <laughs> or is there something you really want to you mention, but you'd like to emphasize now? Well, there's one related, and then one, I have two questions. I'll start with... Um, I just want you to have the answers. Yeah, exactly. So what I will, what I will underscore is that the National Screen Institute is in the heart of the country for a reason. We care about all Canadians and appreciating that all Canadians have a story to tell. We want to, we seek to serve the storytellers of our country through various programs. So stay, stand by, stay tuned to hear more. And then my second question is, um, Bill, you reached out. I want to say it was October, early November, a while ago. We've been trying to do this interview for a while. And you had, you were very insistent that it be live, that we be face-to-face. And that was a bit of a stretch because I'm in Winnipeg. <laughs> I'm in Prince Edward County. <laughs> and we made it happen. And um, and I came sort of half expecting that, to see that you'd have a camera or that there'd be some sort of, you know. So in this case, it is a question to you. Tell me about why live for you. What is it that you like? You know, when I sit on boards of directors or when I am president and CEO of various companies, those meetings with people live together, uh, body language, pauses, eye contact, expressions, smiles, frowns, furrowed brows, mm-hmm. uh, all of that is so important. It's, it's, a, it's part of the language mm-hmm. of communicating. And uh, I, I just find that um, it's more uh, fleshed out, mm-hmm. literally, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. sort of in person. Mm-hmm. Well, I thank you for insisting on making it live. It was an effort for sure, but there is a dynamic and an energy that um, I missed in the last couple of years. So for that reason, it's special, it's memorable, and, um, and here's to more live. You bet. (laughs) Thank you so much, Joy Lowen, President and CEO of the National Screen Institute. We've sometimes been referring to in this chat as the NSI. It's been a real pleasure. I've learned a lot. Our audience has learned a lot. You're doing hugely important work. Uh, Your presence here has been extremely informative. Uh, So keep doing that good and important work at the NSI. It's much appreciated, and I think all Canadians benefit from it. So thank you. This is Bill Roberts of cart.ca. Until next time, cheers.